Welcome to the Lost German Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together, we're diving deep into the history of Rome, from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and ranking them. Welcome to episode number 24, 24. Nice one. 24. Uh, uh, huh? How do you say 20 in Italian? 20. Ah, veinticuatro. Veinticuatro. Oh, same thing. Mm-hmm, pretty close. All right, whatever. Veinticuatro, Julius Caesar. Julio Cesare, part three. Okay. Mateo, this is our first three-episoder. It's been a lot of work. I'm a little anxious about it. And so let's just not talk about it. Let's just keep going, eh? All right, sounds good. Eh? Eh. Eh. So, back to Caesar. Mateo, we ended up last episode. Effectively over. Rome had won, more importantly, or truly, Caesar, Caesar had won. For sure. Rome was a conflict they really didn't care about and didn't choose to get involved in. Well, at least the Senate. Anyway. Yeah, I guess they didn't choose to. I guess they were happy about having Gaul more territory. Yeah, but I mean, it can never hurt, but it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. More about the way, like, who won the territory, right? Yeah. It was more power to Caesar. More power to Caesar. And the Senate was not thrilled about that. Nope. Mateo, as this was happening in Gaul, while Caesar was mopping up because there was still some mop-up to be done. The triumvirate had effectively ceased to exist. Because in 54 BC, like the first piece of the puzzle, or the first, let's say, crack in the armor appeared, which was... One corner of the triangle got dulled. Yeah. Well, this is actually even before that. In 54 BC... The love. Oh, yeah, okay, I remember this. Caesar's daughter died. Yes, exactly, Julia. exactly right. And that was the marital, that was the alliance between Pompey and Caesar was through Julia. Yeah, and Pompey genuinely loved her, it would seem, too much according to kind of the old school Romans, and she died. And Caesar offered to make another match for Pompey, and Pompey declined. He said, no, no, no I, I got this. No, thanks, don't need your help. It didn't cause any immediate change. It wouldn't seem in the relationship between Caesar and Pompey. Maybe for a moment they even seemed closer in mourning. Perhaps they did. Just for a moment. Perhaps they did. Perhaps they did. By the way, Julia, she was a young woman. Not not only did Pompey mourn her, and not only did Caesar mourn her. But Rome did. All of Rome did. Mm -hmm. A, A million people, strong city, mourned Julia. And she wound up, so much so that she wound up having her ashes buried, Matteo, in the campus marshes. Really? Where all the soldiers were? Where all the soldiers were. It required a special vote of the Senate. It was granted. Uh, well, and that's where, And that's where she was buried. Yeah, of course. And that's where she was buried. And then in 53 BC, Matteo, we got the thing that you already anticipated, which is Crassus's Syrian folly. Yeah. Right? That 
pretty keen move by, by Crassus. Yeah, there was nothing keen about it. So Crassus marches into the desert, Mateo, in 53. He dies. Uh, all the legionary standards are captured. His son dies. And shortly thereafter, Pompey does get remarried. And who does he remarry? I don't know if you recall. He remarried... Not Cato's... No, um... I forgot, but it's one of Caesar's enemies. Yep, Pump, uh, he married Crassus's daughter-in-law. So oh, the, the the wife of the slain son of Crassus, the guy that also died at Carhai. Oh, I do remember that. I do remember that. Which is like a little, little icky, aside from the massive age difference which must likes, have existed. He likes the freshies. He, oh, God, that sounds terrible. But it would seem to be the case. It seemed to be that that was Pompey's thing. In 52 BC, so this is a year after the death now of Crassus, Pompey was appointed sole consul, you might recall, and his job was to clean up Rome's streets because they were in flames. With his own gang. Yeah, with his own gang, exactly, and the gang of your favorite Loki mischievous dude. Claudius. Claudius, yeah. Or Claudio. But it's weird, but you're absolutely right. So Pompey is put in charge of solving a problem that he created. Oh, Absolutely. And that is the same year, Matteo, that Caesar, who is still off in Gaul, finally defeated Vercingetorix at Alessia. So Pompey, who was the sole consul at this point, pushed through 20 days of thanksgiving for Caesar. So the triumvirate didn't exist anymore. There were two legs of the stool, not three, but they were still like kind of, yay, really happy for you, bro. They were volleying back and forth, you know? Yeah, but but still like, yeah, yeah, that's great. This is really good for you. I'm happy for you. Yeah, but for you. For for you. But what about what's in it for me? Things started to go downhill after that pretty quickly, especially for Caesar in the world of politics. Militarily, the guy was dominant, perhaps too dominant, but politically, things were percolating. Pompey was starting to get a ton of pressure, Matteo, from the Senate to rein in Caesar. Enough is enough. He won the war in Gaul, right? Right. And Caesar's enemies in the Senate said that his provincia, provincia in Latin means province. task. Oh. It actually means task. I just learned this too. I thought it meant province too. It means task. So his task, his provincia, is done. So why does he still have an army? Why is he still there? And there was a hardline element in the Senate, Matteo, that really wanted not just to have Caesar stand down, but they wanted to punish him. And that group was made up of Lentulus, who was one of the consuls, Scipio Metellus, who was Pompey's father-in-law, Cato the Younger, who I really just... Man, that guy bugs me. Pompey must have had like five fathers-in-law. Then. <laughs> yeah, he did. He had more, actually. I think he had six wives. So they're, I don't know if they're all wandering around Rome at this point, but that would be a little uncomfortable. Right. And finally, Pompey was gradually being pulled into this hardline group. Yeah. That wanted Caesar punished. But what did punish really mean? Like, I, I think punish, from what I can tell, Matteo, probably meant an exile, or maybe it was a massive fine, or both. But punish did not mean death, right? Right. However, for Caesar, an exile from Rome is a massive loss of prestige, a prestige that he had worked his entire life to gain, Right. And so what did he want? He was in Gaul. He wanted to come back home. He wanted to get elected consul again. And he wanted to be acclaimed as a hero. Oh, he wanted the biggest triumph of all the triumphs that have ever been triumphed. Of all times. Yeah. Big, 
mama of a triumph. And he was worried that the Senate was gonna take away this moment that he could taste it was so close, he had waited his entire life for it, and to lose that, Matteo, might just have been worse than death itself. Well, I guess everyone has their own priorities. <laughs> Me personally. You would choose life? Oh, yeah. A uh, hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. You know, there are some times in this podcast where you try to put yourselves in the mindset of the ancient Roman that we're, we're covering. Yeah. They're not going to throw my surprise yeah. party. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you just can't get yourself there. Like, yeah. Dude. It's okay. You got a ton of money. You can go live in a sweet place, have a good life. It's a different time, though. You know, when you lose a battle, you fall on your sword. That is that time. is true. That is true. It's a very good point. And it's funny. I was thinking about that in this episode because we're going to see some of that coming up. And it reminds me of what you've been telling me about the samurai. Yeah. Uh, in that seppuku. Yeah, the, this code of honor that was just unbreakable. The bushido. It, it's sometimes it's hard to relate to. Uh, because maybe I'm just a chicken. But anyways, moving on. The, not everybody in the Senate, Matteo, this also surprised me, not everybody in the Senate wanted conflict with Caesar. A lot of them, maybe even most of them, they wanted to find a peaceful solution with Caesar. And guys like Cicero, who you and I don't necessarily love because he seems like a whiny little pain in the rear end, he was actually leading a group that was trying to find a compromise. And in fact... In December of 50 BC, December of 50, okay, this is a year and change after Caesar defeated Vercingetorix. But didn't, actually, no, continue, sorry. No, no, no tell me, no, shoot. No, continue, continue. All right, so the Senate passed a law, Matteo, by a vote of 370 to 22. 370 to 22 against, asking both Caesar and Pompey to disband their armies. Huh. How well, about that? Obviously, Pompey was probably in on this. You know? I, I don't know if he was. I think Pompey was probably... It's a great question. I'm assuming he's part of the 22. He did not want to disband his armies. He was starting to raise armies because he was anticipating conflict with Caesar. However, that vote was vetoed by the consul. The consuls had the power of veto. Lentulus, or Lentulus vetoed the act because he truly hated Caesar. And around that time, rumors that Caesar was starting to march towards Italy with his legions was rampant in the streets of Rome. And as I was researching this, and as I was writing this, I have this question is, is stuck in my head, Matteo, which is, what the hell is going on? Yeah, why did Caesar just suddenly start yeah. marching on Rome? What's going on? First of all, why does the Senate hate Caesar so much? And what well, is Caesar really trying to do? Yeah. But let's start with the what's the Senate afraid of? Because I think the Caesar thing is Caesar wanted to do Caesar wanted to be consul. He did not want to he wanted to be consul, he wanted to win a triumph, he did not want to be disgraced. Right. I think that's his principal motive. Right. But why does the Senate hate this dude so much? Who is because, only I don't know, maybe they're jealous? I, I, I think jealousy is definitely one. I, I think the fact that Caesar was supposed to be a patrician blue blood, right? Right. He was supposed to be, and the blue bloods, they, they had each other's backs. Like he never wanted to play golf with them. He'd rather go down to the local basketball court yeah. and play some pickup. A hundred percent, because he was the kid from the slums. He was the kid from Sabura. Yeah, I'm a patrician, but I'm really a man of the people. 
And in the same way that Marius was really a man of the people, this guy was one of them. And that scared the crap out of the Senate because they remembered Marius and they remembered Gracchus. And here comes another one. But this guy is even scarier than his forebears. Right. I think that's what it's about. I mean, we can only assume, and that's a pretty solid assumption. You know? What else could it be? I mean, who knows? Maybe there's some other behind-the-scenes stuff that we'll never know. But that makes the most sense. Powerful men fear other powerful men. You know? it, yeah, especially powerful men that aren't playing by the rules. And these are 500-year-old rules. You play by the rules, and Caesar was not. So, that brings us, Mateo, to the first days of January in the year 49 BC. The Senate convened. Could you stop whacking that little piece of paper? Everything's picked up by the mic, you know. My bad, my bad. Uh, a letter was received from Caesar, Mateo. A, a conciliatory letter, a friendly letter. And it was read aloud in the Senate. And in that letter, Caesar himself suggested, guys, I should disarm. I agree. And I will if Pompey disarms. Okay? So the whole law they just voted for. And we'll, we'll de-escalate this thing. So All we need to... Yes, exactly. The law that was voted for and vetoed. And that's, the Senate rejected the offer, Matteo. And not only did they reject Why? the offer... They but, just voted for it. But they physically threw Caesar's allies out of the building of the Senate into the street on January 7th of 49 See, BC. That doesn't make sense. They just voted for that. It doesn't make sense. And one of the men that got thrown out into the street was a guy named Marcus Antonius. Who was Mark a, Antony. He was a tribune of the plebs that had been put there, obviously, with Caesar's full support. He got roughed up, got bruised, got a little cut, and he raced north to find Caesar in camp. And when he got there, Caesar, Caesar paraded Mark Antony with all of his bruises and cuts before the men saying, look at what... Look what happens to good men. Look what's happened to the state He's like that they Rocky. would do this to a good man. Mark Antony's like Rocky. Com- completely. He's just like a, just a lot a, of brawn. Yeah, he's, he's a lot of brawn. Like, <laughs> Caesar! Caesar! <laughs> Caesar! Caesar! <laughs> I think you're probably right. And on that same day, Mateo, that same day, the Senate declared Caesar an enemy of the state in an act called Senatus Consultum Ultimum. Ultimum, an ultimate decree of the Senate, Caesar is now an enemy of the state of Rome. I just went zero to 60 so quick. I don't understand. Super quick. And I don't really understand it either. But I think, okay, I think our perception of zero to 60 is wrong. Because I think we went past 60 a long time ago. Remember, Caesar's been in Gaul for eight years. Yeah, but they Persecuting just... a war that was never authorized by the Senate. But they just voted to have this outcome then Caesar agreed to it and then they're like no we don't want to anymore yeah yeah. Uh, yeah what happened in the internal politics of the senate I don't know if it was another veto of the consuls or what but I think the hatred for Caesar amongst many had been brewing for a very long time because the guy had never played by the rules remember when he bribed people to become Pontifex Maximus uh, remember when he made a ton of money in an illegal war in Hispania, capturing yeah. silver mines and, and attacking people that he wasn't authorized to attack? I mean, 
he has never played by the rules. And for a certain segment of the patrician population, the optimates in the Senate, that was beyond unacceptable. Right. You know, one thing is if you play by the rules and get rich playing by the rules that we all enrich ourselves with. Right. The other is if, if you come up with your own twist on things, which is a little bit like what Marius did, but this is a whole other level. So, Caesar is now an enemy of the state, Mateo. And there was, my son, if we zoom in on the map of Italy, there's a little river somewhere in the north. Right. It's really more like a stream. It's not a big river. Yeah. It flows for about 50 miles. It starts up in the Apennine Mountains, and it flows east to the sea, just north of modern Rimini, uh, Ariminum, in Ariminium, ancient Rome. I always thought it was. Uh, Ariminum? Where is, where is it? I don't know. We'll look it up in a second. I thought it was Arminium. That's what I've always said. Arminium. Maybe you're right. I don't remember. Maybe it's Arminium. I know it's modern Rimini. Yeah, it's Ariminum. Ariminum. Oh, Ariminum. Yeah, Ariminum. So that little streamish kind of river had historically in ancient Rome marked the frontier between Italia and Cisalpine Gaul. Right. And there was an ancient custom, really a law, which was a returning Roman general, as they marched south, had to leave their army north of this little stream called Rubico in Latin, or Rubicon in English. Yes? Yes, I'm aware. Yes. I think this must be something that most people are aware of, even the people that don't know anything about the Rome. The die is cast. I feel like people have heard that before. We're coming. We're coming. So Caesar is in Cisalpine Gaul at this point, just south of the Alps. And Mark Antony reached him a short while before, on the 8th or the 9th, saying, Dude, Caesar. look at this. Caesar! And Caesar is there, Mateo, with the Legio 13, the 13th Legion. The Legio 13 Gemina. By the way, that Legio 13, this 13th Legion, Mateo, yeah. it would be around until the 5th century. The last known reference to it was in the 5th century somewhere in Egypt where they were posted. So this is a storied That's legion. That's crazy. It is crazy. That night, Mateo, the night of the 8th or the 9th of... Uh, uh, what month are we in? Uh, of January. Caesar had dinner with friends. And he acted completely normal. And then after the dinner, he made a little signal to a handful of his closest friends. And he headed out into the dark. And these friends all took their different paths to reach a certain point. And at that point, I'll let Plutarch tell the rest of the story. Caesar came to the river which separates Cisalpine Gaul from the rest of Italy and began to reflect now that he drew nearer to the fearful step. He was agitated by the magnitude of his ventures and he checked his speed. Then halting in his course, he communed with himself a long time in silence as his resolution wavered back and forth and his purpose then suffered change after change. For a long time, he discussed his perplexities with his friends who were present, estimating the great evils for all mankind which would follow their passage of the river, and the wide fame of it which they would leave to posterity. But finally, with a sort of passion, 
as if abandoning calculation and casting himself upon the future, he uttered the phrase which men usually prelude their plunge into desperate and daring fortunes. Mateo, what is it? Let the die be cast. Yes. So he hastened to cross the river. And going at full speed now for the rest of the time, before daybreak, he dashed into Ariminum and took possession of it. Alia iacta est. Gives me chills when I say it. The die is cast. That, that is a, a chilling thing to say. Yeah. That is it. That's... At what point did the Republic die? I don't know. I, I feel like it was dead before this, but this yeah. is just like the nail in the coffin. I agree. Nail in the coffin. So Caesar is officially in Italy now, Matteo. And more of his troops are coming from Gaul. News reaches Rome that Caesar is marching on the capital. And Rome goes into an absolute panic. Pompey, you get the sense that Pompey at this point is just kind of old man nervous, right? And he declares a state of anarchy. And according to Plutarch, the consuls fled without even making the sacrifices usual before departure. Most of the, senates, the senators also fled after seizing in a sort of robbery whatever came to hand of their own possessions, as though it were the property of others. Some, too, who before this had vehemently espoused the cause of Caesar were now frightened out of their wits and were carried along when there was no need of it by the sweep of the great tide. The most pitiful was the sight of the city, now that so great a tempest was bearing down upon her, carried along like a ship abandoned of her helmsman to dash against whatever lay in her path. So even his supporters are freaked out at this point. Everybody, like complete and utter panic. But did the Senate not have like an urban army in the city of Rome? No, I mean, not really. Not really. They didn't have a standing army. Pompey had been raising an army. They had asked Pompey to start raising forces. And yet it was but like... there was no urban cohorts that were no, in the city. No, there was no like Praetorian prefect yet. And there was no standing like police force. Uh... I mean, I guess they could so raise militias who, quickly. Who, uh-huh. So who manned the walls of Rome? I mean, I know it wasn't the Aurelian walls, but... Uh. I, I, it's a, that's a great question. My impression, and it's only an impression, is that the walls were not permanently manned. They were manned on an as-needed basis, and it wasn't needed because nobody was marching on so Rome. So when there's a riot broken out... What happens? Yeah, I guess they, they raise, you know, militias or of gladiators so and no, ex-soldiers. No and, police? No, no police. Damn. Yeah. There was no police because I guess they didn't need a police. But just for petty affairs like in the town, like a fight breaks out or some I, theft? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess they would call in, you know, I don't know, Mateo, on an as-needed basis. But I don't know. No, it's, there I don't know. There must have been some form of... Something. I don't know. My impression is that Nobody there was... Nobody even guarded the Senate House. Nah, come on. There must have been something there. There must have been something there. I don't know what the answer to the question is. I just, I just don't know. You're asking great questions. Needless to say, whatever it was, there was not enough to Pompey in the Senate to feel comfortable. Pompey, at this point, is going through like a mega massive freakout... He is out the door, and he invites the Senate to abandon Rome. Come with me. It's your, last, it's your last hope. 
Pompey must have assumed that Caesar was marching on Rome with a massive force, which was not the case. At this point, Caesar still has a single legion, one legion. Pompey has a much larger force at his disposal. He should have listened to Labinus. He should have listened to Labinus. Instead, he starts marching south to Brindisium with his massive army. Where he's going to take a ship. He's going to take ships to safety. Mm -hmm. Caesar is also moving south, but he's super careful about this because at this point, he's very keenly in tune with the whole PR element of this campaign. Mm -hmm. It's all about... Keeping the people on the No. Can't go down the Marius way. No, not yet. But but this his sensitivity to this seems to go away over time, but we'll get there. He is super careful to treat everybody he came across very well. Um, by the way, it's right around this moment. You mentioned Labinus. It's at this moment that, that Labinus also crosses over to the forces of the Republic, leaves Cisalpine Gaul to join Pompey, and you're gonna love this, Matteo. Caesar sent Labinus his baggage and his money. Here are your possessions. Here's your Aww. here's your gold. Old buddy, I don't blame you for what you're doing. It's okay. I'm sure Caesar also didn't want this. I mean, he didn't. There's no way he would have wanted this. No. This is not the outcome. He just wants to come back forever. He'd be like, wow, Caesar, you're the greatest. Definitely, that's the what he wanted. The greatest ever. Yeah. Caesar, you're up there in the annals of history. You're the new Scipio. You're the new Marius. Look at what you did in Gaul. That's awesome. Let's have a great triumph. And we're going to start calling you Gaius Julius Gallicanus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let's go out to dinner and, and celebrate. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's what he wanted. He wanted adulation. He wanted fame. He wanted to be first amongst equals. And a new agnomen that's not elephant. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Gallicus. Gallicus. He could have been Gallicus. But it was not meant to be. So he's moving south. Not everybody was pro Caesar, Matteo. And we saw him do a kindness to Labinus. There was another commander of a town called Corfinium, which is somewhere in modern Abruzzo. The guy's name was Domitius. And Domitius was holding out against Caesar. He had about 30 cohorts. And when Caesar approached, Domitius was so scared of Caesar that he asked his slave, who was his doctor, to give him poison. Just kill me, kill me, kill me, before Caesar gets here. And then as he thinks he's dying, he heard that Caesar was actually treating everybody really nicely and wasn't killing anybody. Mm-hmm. And so then Domitius started freaking out. Oh my God, I'm dying. Why did I do this? And the slave said, uh, master, don't worry. I just gave you a sleeping potion, not poison. Hmm. He's like, yay, I'm not dying. So Domitius marches out, hands over the keys to Corfinium, and Caesar said, thanks a lot, dude. I appreciate that. But just so you know, you don't need to pledge loyalty to me. You can do whatever you want. Whereupon this dude, Domitius, said, ah, really? Ah, thanks so much. Oh, damn. Screw you. And he marched off to join Pompey. And Caesar left. For some reason. So Caesar, so far, handling things beautifully. Then he reaches Brundisium and saw that Pompey was basically pulling out in his ships. There was no way to stop him. So Caesar, who did not have the ships and didn't have much money at this point, returned to Rome. And when he got there, he marched into the Senate and he addressed the handful of senators that remained. Like 10 people. Yeah, these are the losers uh, of the Senate. The guys that supported (laughs) him, too. The losers and his supporters. And as Plutarch says, with these 
quote-unquote losers, he conferred in a gentle and affable manner, inviting them even to send a deputation to Pompey, proposing suitable terms of agreement. But no one would listen to him, either because they feared Pompey, whom they had abandoned, or because they thought that Caesar did not mean what he said. So, again, you see, you get the sense that Caesar did not want things to go down the way that they absolutely did. He was not pushing for a civil war. Right. But he did need money, Matteo. So he went and raided the treasury. A tribune of the plebs tried to stop him. And here is the first example of us seeing Caesar start to lose his cool. He basically told the guy, move or I'm going to kill you. Damn. The guy freaked out, moved. Caesar broke open the treasury, took the money, left the city. But he didn't go east yet, Matteo. This surprised me. He actually went west. He didn't pursue Pompey right away. Instead, he went to Hispania. So 60 days, more or less. It's been 60 days since Caesar crossed the Rubicon, okay? And Italy is his. Right. And by June of 49 BC, so this is six months later, he's in Spain. And there were three legates who were loyal to Pompey with three legions in Spain. One was a guy named Lucius Afranius. Another was Marcus Petraeus. And then there was a Marcus Terentius, Terentius Vero. He's probably from Tarentum. Could be. Yeah. Could be. More or less, the forces were evenly matched. It was about 30,000 to 30,000. And the first battle was a battle known as the Battle of Yerda, or Lerda. It's two L's, so I guess it's Yerda. Uh, the Republican forces occupied the high ground outside of the town. They fought a couple skirmishes. Caesar was victorious, Matteo, and he started pursuing the retreating Republican forces. And I'm saying Republican because these are guys... Loyal to Pompey, but Pompey but represented... The Senate. The Senate. And the Senate was the Republic of Rome. Right. The armies, opposing armies, camped close to each other at night. And at night, the soldiers would kind of cross over into each other's camps and say, Dude, what are we doing? What are we doing? Or they'd talk, they'd have some beers, you know? They'd have some beers and said, Why? I don't want, you're my cousin, you're my friend, you're my brother, you're my neighbor. I don't want to be fighting you. And the Pompey's legates found out about this, and when Caesar's men would come into their camps, they would have them seized and killed. But Caesar saw the guys from Pompey coming into his camp, and he sort of encouraged it. He turned a blind eye. He was smart, dude. He was very shrewd in the manner in which he managed this. So eventually, he wound up surrounding the Republican armies, and their legates surrendered to Caesar. And the soldiers re-enlisted. Turncoat. Under Caesar. He handled it beautifully. Very little blood shed. He took control of Hispania and he reinforced his army. And then he moved back to Rome and Matteo, he had himself appointed dictator to conduct elections. Remember when you, you're appointed dictator, it's with a specific right. purpose. There's also like seven people in the Senate house. That is true. The seven people in the Senate had him appointed they're dictator. Just playing, they're just there playing Connect Four and stuff. <laughs> And he had himself elected Matteo consul for the next year, along with a guy named, you're going to like this too, Publius Servilius Esoricus. His commander? The son of his old commander. Oh. And that, by the way, his old commander is still alive. He's 86 years old. Who is he supporting? He wouldn't die for four more years. He was sort of like out to pasture at this point, but I guess oh. he supported Caesar because he allowed his son to be elected consul alongside Caesar. Sweet. And Caesar, 86 is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it, crazy. 
And Caesar resigned his dictatorship after only 11 days as soon as the election had been held. So now it's time for the showdown with Pompeii. We, we talked about this uh, two episodes ago and one episode ago in Pompeii and Labinus's episode. Caesar sails finally for Dyrrhachium, where Pompey had established himself. And we won't go into it again. Remember, Caesar built a circumvallation of the city. He cut off the rivers that fed it with water. Pompey had a far superior force in terms of numbers, but in terms of quality, there was no comparison with Caesar's force. Uh, finally, Pompey broke out of the blockade and he moved southeast of Pharsalus. If you go to www.lostgermanheroes.com, there's a good map uh, that shows just the proximity of, first of all, Greece to, to Italy, but it also shows the, the movements of Caesar and Pompey's forces in these right. final pivotal battles. This is battles. kind of near where Leonidas met Xerxes. It was very close. Crazy how much history went down in that little patch of land. Yeah, Greece, is always, Greece yeah. and Italy have both always yeah. been always. battlegrounds. Insane. It really is. So on August 9th of 48, Matteo, we've talked about August 9th before because it's an important date for... My sister. Yes! You nailed it twice! Yep, both times. (laughs) On August 9th of 48, Caesar and Pompey meet in the decisive battle at Pharsalus. Caesar won a resounding victory. We've talked about this, Matteo, but one thing I didn't emphasize enough, I don't think last time, is that no one expected this outcome. No one. Maybe Caesar expected to win. Nobody else on the face of the planet expected Caesar to win. Because the numbers were so stacked against him. Listen to this. Plutarch says that when both armies entered the plain of Pharsalus and camped there, those around Pompey were so confident and so hopefully anticipated the victory that they started disputing between each other over Caesar's office of Pontifex Maximus. In other words, when we kill Caesar, who's going to be Pontifex Maximus here? And many He's sent, still Pontifex Maximus. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's an appointment for life. And many sent agents to Rome to hire and take possession of houses suitable for praetors and consuls. So they're already upgrading their homes, expecting that they're going to be like massively promoted uh, on, the, uh, on, on the social scale, on the social ladder when they get home. And so they're just like ready. They are ready to win. They're like spoiled... Um well, that's a horrible thing to say. But they're just like some... Never mind, actually. I'm spoiled not... brats. Yeah, spoiled brats. And then Caesar shocked the world, Matteo. How did he do it? Because he was a superior commander to Pompey? Maybe. Probably. Because his bed believed in the cause? But because he... his bed yeah, was hardened? I think so. And he also had far superior seasoned and fanatically loyal, loyal. troops. Which we have to emphasize over and over again. It's like Napoleon... Yes, Caesar had a gift to engender a degree of loyalty, Matteo, that's perfectly exemplified in this quote I'm about to read. Plutarch says that Caesar is moving forward with his legionaries because he has, you know, command of, of a legion or two. And then he saw to his side one of his old faithful centurions challenging the men that he commanded to, like, step up. Let's go, man, let's go! So Caesar calls out to the centurion. His name was Caius Crisinius. Caius Crisinius, what are our hopes and how does our confidence stand? Then Crisinius, stretching forth his right hand, said with a loud voice, We shall win a glorious victory, O Caesar, and thou shalt praise me today, whether I am alive or dead. So saying, Crisinius 
plunged foremost into the enemy at full speed, carrying along with him the 120 soldiers under his command. But after cutting his way through the first rank, and while he was forging onwards with great slaughter, he was beaten back by the thrust of a sword through his mouth, and the point of the sword actually came out at the back of his neck. Damn. That's, that's a way to go out. Wow. I mean, that's how loyal they were. And he gained immortality because we're talking about him today through his loyalty to Caesar. After the battle, Matteo, Cicero and Brutus, yes, that Brutus, Marcus Junius Brutus, asked Caesar for forgiveness. They were fighting on the side of the Republic. They came up to him and said, wow, that was a big mistake. Please forgive us. And Caesar forgave them. And Cato the Younger, who was also fighting against Caesar, fled to Africa. Pompey fled to Egypt to continue the resistance. So Caesar pursues Pompey to Egypt, right? He landed at Alexandria Mateo on October 7th of the year 48 BC. And he realized right away that Pompey had been killed in Alexandria two days before. And by Ptolemy, who presented him his head, yes. very proud. Yes. So Plutarch says... Caesar arrived at Alexandria just after Pompey's death, and he turned away in horror from Theodotus. Theodotus, remember, was the guy that ran Pompey through. He was the Roman soldier. As Theodotus presented the head of Pompey to Caesar. But Caesar accepted Pompey's seal ring and shed tears over it. Moreover, all the companions and intimates of Pompey who had been captured by the king as they wandered over the country of Egypt, he treated them with kindness and attached them to himself. And to his friends in Rome, he wrote that this is the greatest and sweetest pleasure that he derived from his victory. Namely, from time to time, he got to save the lives of fellow citizens who had fought against him. This guy's the goat of PR. Right? Yeah. He's really genius. I mean, try to make a friend 101. Yeah. Jesus. He's genius, but you're going to see that genius dim as we move on. So let's keep going. Egypt, Caesar's in Egypt, Matteo, and news reaches him from Rome that he was just appointed dictator again. So he has the power to continue conducting the war. And he decided to arbitrate an ongoing civil war in Egypt. I know you know this, but, well, you tell me. What's happening in Egypt at this point? It was, um, all right. It was the manling, the 14-year-old Ptolemy, the male um, heir to the throne versus... Cleopatra's older sister. Yep. And wife. And wife. You know what? I completely forgot about that, Matteo, but they were, in fact, siblings and husband and wife. So a kid two years younger than me marrying a 22-year-old woman. Correct. Who happens to be a sister. Happens to be a sister. Yeah. So Ptolemy, Matteo, as you said, is the one that had ordered Pompey's murder, which is a bad move. Bad move. And Egypt was a Roman client state, Matteo. It had been a client state of Rome for years. And this Cleopatra, listen, who knows what Cleopatra was? What do you think? When you hear the word Cleopatra, what do you think of? Conniving, scheming, mm-hmm. uh, smart, and one of the most beautiful women in history, apparently. Uh, that sums it up like as, as well as I could possibly hope to do. I, I think that's the way I think of her as well. That's what the historical sources say about her. The only thing I would add is that she really knew Romans, Matteo. She had probably been to Rome years before right, with her father. Greek at the end of the day. Yes, that's she true. She was he- Hellenic. She was Hellenic. And we know the Romans loved the, the, not too the culture of the kin. Hellens. Yeah. 
So she knew the ropes. Anyway, so Caesar is trying to negotiate a peace between the siblings slash spouses. And around this period of time, Matteo, according to Plutarch, Cleopatra seduced, embarked in a little skiff and arrived at the palace in Alexandria when it was already getting dark. And as it was impossible to escape notice otherwise, she stretched herself at full length inside a bedsack, while her friend Apollodorus tied the bedsack up with a cord and carried it indoors to Caesar. And then he unwrapped her. <laughs> it was, it was by a this bit, device. Nice yeah, it was by Merry this Christmas. device of Cleopatra's. It is said that Caesar was first captivated, for she showed herself to be a bold coquette. And succumbing to the charm of further intercourse with her, he re- reconciled her to her brother on the basis of a joint share with him in the royal power. So, yeah, they started up a, I would say, hot or torrid or serious or name it whatever you want, affair. Right. And Caesar was already disdained by, um, by the young Ptolemy because of what happened with Pompey. Oh, yeah. Caesar was already predisposed to hating the little 14-year-old punk. And around this time, Caesar's barber, who apparently was a very shrewd... <laughs> he was a very shrewd uh, dude. Must have been a crappy barber, though. Uh, why? Caesar, Caesar didn't have a lot of hair. Line. He's balding, dude. Exactly. It's balding. It wasn't his fault. But the barber had to shave him, too. He's always clean-shaven. I guess. So the barber heard a rumor that the eunuch that was kind of the power behind the throne of Ptolemy was conspiring to kill Caesar, so Caesar had the eunuch killed. Uh, A battle ensued known as the Battle for Alexandria. Caesar obviously defeated the forces of Ptolemy, and he put Cleopatra on the throne, and then, Matteo, they took a vacay. They took a little pleasure cruise. Right. While this was happening, who was in charge of Rome? Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Caesar! Caesar! <laughs> yeah. But so they took a little pleasure cruise on the Nile, Matteo. They're having a good old time. And I kind of feel like Caesar deserved the pleasure cruise yeah, on the Nile. Yeah, you know what he did? The guy's been working, busting his ass. He's been busting his ass for a long years. time. Maybe he should have stayed in Egypt. He should have stayed in Egypt on the Nile, on the, on the pleasure cruise. But the guy has been lurching from one tough time to another. From, from, from the time his dad died at 14... He got thrown out of Rome by Sulla, got captured by pirates. And now people are starting to spread rumors about him back home. People are spreading nasty rumors about him. He doesn't, I mean, he really, up until this point, he really doesn't deserve it. Right. I think. Right. Anyways, on that pleasure cruise, Miss Cleopatra gave birth to a very unlucky little dude by the name of Caesarion, who was the son of... Julius... Caesar. Yeah, and Cleopatra in June of 47. So with that, mission accomplished. He created a child. And this he's, is his first, his first it, child. This is... He's, an old, he's old. No, 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 second. He had Julia. Remember oh, right, Julia? Except for Julia. Yeah, but right, he hasn't right. had a child for a long time. Right, it's been like <laughs> yeah. 35 years. Yeah, because so 40, 47 BC, Caesar is how old, Matteo? He was born in 100? Uh-huh. He's 53. Nicely done. Okay, so we could kind of assume this might not be his child. Let's be honest. Well, here. no, a fifty-three-year-old guy can have. Really? When does that start to happen? No, it's it's it's. I mean, it's one of the great injustices of human biology that oh, ma- men can have 
children into their 60s and 70s. And really? It's, it's a question of, huh. yeah, A, okay. the child might not be super healthy, and it depends upon how old the spouse is. At any rate, mission accomplished. He has a child. He has Cleopatra. He took care of Egypt, and he left Egypt, Mateo, and started marching up into Syria, where we had a tiny little problem. I know you remember King Mithridates. He's still alive? No, no, no. He's dead. Oh, okay. But his son's in charge now. His son is a guy by the name of King Pharnaces. And Pharnaces. King Far- or Pharnaces. Okay, that probably sounds better. Pharnaces, thank you. King Pharnaces hated the Romans as much as his dad. And while Caesar had been distracted... His family is just a line of haters. They're a line of haters. Yeah, the kings of Pontus. And so he defeated some of Caesar's loyal local forces and committed atrocities against the local Romans, just like Mithridates did, because that's what they do. It's the old Pontus playbook. Right. So Caesar gets there, Matteo, and Farnaces asks Caesar to negotiate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's find a peaceful solution to this. I didn't mean to. Yeah. And Caesar said, no, no. There's no peaceful solution to this. And in a very quick five-hour battle, he crushed Farnaces, who wound up getting killed a short while afterwards by his own son. And Caesar wrote a little letter back to Rome with the very famous line, Matteo. Vini, vidi, vici. Yeah. Meaning? I came, I saw, I conquered. You got it, baby. He did. Really fast. And then he sailed back for Italy because, as you said... He left a little dude in charge called Mr. Mark Antony while he was gone. Mark the Rock Antony. Yeah. Caesar! Caesar! So Caesar, Mark Antony was Caesar's magister equitum. He was in, in charge of the horse. Uh, and apparently he was doing a really crappy job. He was an awesome soldier. We're not going to do an episode on Mark Antony because I think it's very clear that he's not our lost Roman hero. But he was a great soldier, but he's a really lousy politician and administrator, and you get the sense that he's just not that smart. Right. So in Caesar's absence, there was a tribune of the plebs, a guy by the name of Dolabella, uh, who was agitating for debt relief, and that debt relief turned into, that agitation turned into a riot. The Senate asked for Mark Antony's help to control the riot, and Mark Antony marched into Rome with his thugs, crushed the riots with force, killed many people. And around that time, Caesar's governor of Spain that he had left in charge there was also overthrown because he was super unpopular. So you get the sense that Caesar is the indispensable man, the guy that had this gift, this touch But no one else had it. Especially not this guy, Mark Antony. Yeah, no one else had it. He's like, Mark, these guys are complaining. They have nothing to eat. Can you figure it out? Boom! Yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll I'll figure it out, yeah. Yeah. I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out with my fist. I'll take care of it, I promise. (laughs) Boom! He was a meathead. No, Mark, not me, them. He was like a mob mob enforcer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Caesar returns to Rome in 47, and the first thing he does is he demotes Mark Antony. (laughs) That's it. He sends a signal. Which surprised me as well. I got the sense that Caesar and Mark Antony were like... Boyfriends. Yeah, like basically boyfriends. Right? That they had a bromance going on. And right. and Caesar, no. Caesar saw things clearly. Mark Antony is the problem. Let's demote him. I did good, boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you did good. You did good, but I'm going to change your title, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, boss. You're going to be washing the cars now, okay? You go wash the car, okay? Anything you want, sir. <laughs> Anything you want, Mr. Caesar. <laughs> okay, go wash the car again. It's still dirty. I see something there. It's a spot. So Caesar oversaw elections, Matteo, for the year of 47. 
he's already in the year of 47. Remember Roman elections of the year before? Right. But Mark Antony had completely lost control of the situation such that they couldn't hold elections yet for the magistrates. So Caesar oversees the election for 47, as well as the one for the following year, and he's elected consul again with a guy named Lepidus. And on December 25th of 47, Caesar sails for Africa because his work isn't done. We still have a resistance, a Republican resistance in Africa, Matteo. Metellus Scipio, Pompey's father-in-law, Cato the Younger, hate the dude, and the guy that we love, actually, Labinus, Mm. Caesar's old friend. And we talked about a first battle at a place called Ruspina, Matteo, on January 4th of 46, where Caesar lost to Labinus. Uh, Labinus and his Numidian cavalry. It wasn't a rout, it wasn't a terrible loss, but he lost. And then there was a subsequent battle a few months later in April of 46 at a place called Thapsus. And Thapsus that was the big one. Famous city. That was ancient, the big one. Ancient city. I don't know anything about Thapsus. That's in, it's, it, it's in modern Tunisia, right? It's yeah, in it's yeah, Carthaginian, city. Carthaginian city. So that was, Matteo, a complete rout of the Republican forces. And in that battle, Caesar offered no quarter. He massacred his foes, Roman foes. First time in a while. First time, Matteo. And then he marched on Utica, where Cato was holed up, Matteo. And Cato, knowing that Caesar was coming, committed suicide. Rather than be humiliated by a Caesar that offered him generous terms. And shortly thereafter, Metellus Scipio, Pompey's father-in-law, also committed suicide. As did Juba, who was their Numidian king ally. So what is that, dude? We were talking about it before. It's like it is the samurai code. Yeah, Bushido. Bushido. I don't know. I think I would have accepted Caesar's generous terms. <laughs> Me personally? Yeah. Yeah. Two important people escaped there. Three. Labinus escaped and Pompey's two sons escaped and they went to Hispania. We know what happened to them, but first, Caesar didn't go after them right away. He returned to Italy first, Matteo. Pay attention to this. This is important. Caesar returns to Italy in September of 46, and he celebrated not one triumph, Matteo. Not two nor three. He celebrated four triumphs. <laughs> four separate triumphs. It's like he's finally, yeah. Guy's kind of humble, huh? Yeah, I've been waiting my entire life. A couple of things have gotten in the way. A little civil war, a little conquering a province. One triumph for Gaul, one triumph for Egypt, one triumph for Asia, when he, Pharnassus. And one, one triumph for Africa. And in the triumph for Gaul, Matteo, remember our buddy Vercingetorix? Yep. He was led before Caesar's chariot, and at the end of the triumph, he was executed. I can't imagine what the people were doing by the time the fourth one rolled around. Yeah. Could they still even clap? Like, <laughs> like finally, we could go home and be like, nope, we have a fourth one coming. I am so tired. Put the music back yeah. on. <laughs> Hey, wake up, wake up. <laughs> Caesar's coming by. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Did, did I do good, boss? <laughs> I did good, boss. I can't imagine what his, his speeches must have been like. No. Like, you know, um, I don't know. Mark Antony trying to, trying to rob the man up. Yeah. This is my, my feeling of this is it's like the first time that Caesar is like tone deaf. It's the first time. Yeah. Where he's thinking just about Caesar and not about how Caesar's being perceived. Right. He just couldn't help himself. Caesar's soldiers were given a lifetime of wages, Matteo, at that moment. 24,000 sesterces. And shortly after the four triumphs, Caesar left for Hispania to deal with what was left of the Republican resistance. That's Labinus, Pompey, and Pompey. Uh, 
We know what happened, the Battle of Munda on March 17th of 45 BC. Caesar triumphed barely. He barely triumphed, but he triumphed. Labinus was dead on the battlefield. Gnaeus Pompeius also died. Sextus Pompeius, the second son of Pompey, managed to escape Matteo. And he would remain a nuisance, not really an important threat, but a nuisance for another 10 years. All right. Now it's time for Caesar to return to Rome, Matteo. Right, because I do know that huh? uh, Mark Antony and Octavian fought against a Pompey. Yes, that's this dude. Nice. So it's time for Caesar to return for, from Rome. Remember I told you in our last episode, the battle at Munda was Caesar's last battle. Right, and then a year later, Caesar would be dead. Yep. So he arrives, Matteo, in October of 45. It took him three months to get back home. He celebrated his fifth triumph. But think about this for a second. Why is he celebrating this triumph? It was a triumph for... Well, he was triumphant over the Republic. He was triumphant over his fellow Romans. Fellow Romans. In other words, there are people in the crowd, in the forum, that had lost a father, a brother, a son, a husband, to the guy that was celebrating the triumph. And this guy's throwing a party. And this guy is throwing a party and dancing and the music is blurring. It's kind of sad when you think about it. All these parties he threw for himself. Yes. It's not everyone else like, this guy's great. Let's throw him a party. Yeah, it's not like the old triumphs where the Senate says, goes through its process and says, you deserve it. This is, he's turned into a tone-deaf bully who killed fellow Romans. I mean, remember when we talked about Crassus in, in uh, in the war against Spartacus? Crassus was victorious, and it was a huge victory, but he didn't celebrate a triumph, because like you don't celebrate a triumph for defeating slaves. slaves. In the same way, you don't celebrate a triumph in a civil war. But Caesar did. So my question to you, Matteo, because I think you have a good sense of the man, is what changed in Caesar? What happened? Because the Caesar of 10 years before wouldn't have done this. What changed? You know... Maybe in his eyes at this point, the Republic was dead. Maybe in his eyes at this point, he just, he was just surrounded by so many yes-men. He had a whole army of yes-men, basically. Yeah, yeah. That he just believed everyone was on his side. And, yeah. and the evil guys were the senators he fought against. Yeah. I don't know. But, oh, it's kind of hard to say. But you feel it, right? You feel the change, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Me too. It's what happens... It's like um, what Scipio... No, it's uh, not Scipio. Um, no, actually, yeah. Oh, man. Scipio Nasica. It's like what he said about Rome. Um, uh, Rome yeah, needs equals. Yeah. We need equals I love to keep that. ourselves in check. I love that. I love that. Caesar at this point had no more equals. Thank you for bringing that back. So yeah. There's nothing to keep him in check. Yes. He just lost it. Yes. Yes. I Same thing happened right. with Napoleon when you think about it. I think you're right. Well, I don't know enough about Napoleon to say that. What do you mean? Tell, tell uh, me. By the end of Napoleon, at, at, but the, peak Napoleon, greatness, uh, you're saying, at the peak of his greatness, he crowned himself emperor. Right. You know? Like, just people start losing the grip. You need somebody to keep you grounded and real. Yeah. I agree. And it's the same thing, like, after the fall of Persia. I don't know. Like, that was, like, basically the end of Rome. No, no way. Hey, okay, it wasn't the end, it of, wasn't Rome, the end of Rome, but it was the downfall. But, 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 but there was, was some, no... something definitely changed. Rome would have a massive, uh, an important enemy in the, in the form of the caliphate for centuries to come. Yeah, but Rome was always... Uh, they were always... The caliphate was always um, the greater of the two. No, that's not true. Yes, it is. No, it wasn't yes, true. It is. No, not true. Yes, it is. Actually, not true. 
and you're no it's not true and we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get there uh in this podcast at any rate caesar at this point his fifth mateo's fifth triumph he threw himself into preparations for a new war did you know this um no he planned a war in parthia he was going to avenge crassus's humiliation at carhai in the meantime caesar mateo at this point, he had been appointed dictator five times. In February of 44 BC, he was appointed dictator perpetuo. Dictator for life. He's basically like the shogun now. The yeah. shogun of Italy. Yeah, you're right. That's actually uh, that's a great description. He's like the shogun. And we know that only one other man in the history of Rome had ever received powers of dictator for life, dictator perpetuo, and that was Sulla, his bitter enemy. Who retired it after just exactly. a couple of weeks. And Caesar, but Caesar had much more power than Sulla did. And I'll tell you why. Caesar's image started showing up on Roman coins. This was the first time in the history of Rome that a living Roman appeared on a coin. He changed the month of Quintilis, his birth month, to be called Julius. Me too. To be named after him. Yes, that's your birth month. You were born in the month of Quintilis, called July, because Julius Caesar chose to call it so. When he sat in the Senate, Matteo, he sat in a golden chair. Just imagine how that bugged the bejesus out of Cato the Younger. Right. Actually, Cato the Younger is dead now. Cicero. Cicero. Yeah. Uh, he, he, statues of him started going up in public. Wait, what? I thought the only statue that was made of him in his lifetime. But there's only one. I, I, I guess they were destroyed. The only one surviving is the one that we saw in the last episode. Oh, yeah? And other powers that were typically granted to other governing bodies, like censors, were concentrated, concentrated in his hands, like the power of war and peace. On top of that, he started to wearing he started wearing red boots and yes. purple togas. Yes. Which purple, we know, is a sign of yes. royalty and, yes. Yes. and uh, power. And, yeah. and red boots is something that only the kings of old would wear. Love it. You're absolutely right. And so, Mateo, as a wise man once told me, if it looks like a fish, smells like a fish, tastes like a fish, it's a fish. And Caesar is looking, smelling, and tasting a lot like... A king. A king. A lot like a king. Rex. Yeah. Rex Romana. So, he basically had the power of the king. And with that power, he did some good things. Just like Sula did. Like, you can be a king and, and do some good things. He implemented a new calendar called the Julian calendar, which is a solar calendar, which is more or less the calendar we use today. It's been tweaked a little bit, but more or less the same. He increased the number of senators from 600 to 900, packing it with his cronies. He established some new colonies, Matteo, on old sites like Carthage and Corinth that the Romans had wiped out centuries before. They now became new cities. Citizenship was extended to Cisalpine Gaul, his old stomping grounds. Now it's part of Rome. Uh, he tightened eligibility for the grain dole, so there were less loafers getting free free bread. Uh, he had a bunch of building programs, like he expanded the port of Ostia, a canal through the isthmus of Corinth. He built a new form of Caesar, named after himself, of course, some temples. Uh, and he gave lots of extras and perks to his supporters, like definite corruption. And this is one of my favorites. It's basically consul for a day. He would make the consul of the year resign a day before the end of his term, so he could give one of his buddies the consulship for one day. Like, for one day, you have absolute power. 
Have at it. Have fun. <laughs> have some fun with this. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> that cool? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and most importantly, he did all of this without consulting the Senate. All of it without consulting the Senate. You can just imagine how that went down. Right. So to make matters worse, Mateo. Not this, so good. Not so good. This month that we're in, this month of February, uh, the same month in which Caesar is appointed dictator for life, there's a big festival called the Lupercalia which is the festival of the wolf, basically. Uh, this is a rowdy affair, Mateo. People are running around half naked through the streets. They're drinking. They're doing naughty things. Uh, and, and by the way, this is kind of cool. Uh, amongst other things, the festival is kicked off with an animal sacrifice on an altar in a cave at the base of the Palatine Hill where supposedly your old buddies, Romulus and Remus, were suckled by the she-wolf. Nice. Isn't that cool? Yep. So it's a really big party, Okay. And during this party, your buddy, Antony, tried twice to put a diadem on Caesar's head. With a diadem? It's a crown. Oh. Worn by kings. Okay. He tried to crown Caesar. He was probably drunk. Maybe he was joking. Maybe he wasn't. Caesar said, no, 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 no. He kind of rejected it. He's like, dude, knock it off. Yeah, knock it off. Dude. Maybe he said knock it off because he saw the reaction of the crowd. It wasn't a good reaction. Rome does not want a new king. Maybe he just didn't want it. Who knows? At any rate, he was also dressing, he was already dressing like, as you said, he's already dressing like a king, he's acting like a king, he's basically a king. The old guard, the optimates, the senators, they were horrified, Matteo. And a conspiracy was born. A conspiracy to murder. I'm going to leave you with this little tidbit, okay? The plan to murder Caesar had started in the summer of 45. Caesar wasn't even in Rome in the summer of 45. Remember, he got back to Rome in October of 45. In the summer of 45, the first conspirators approached Caesar! Mark Antony. They approached the muscle. And the muscle, the mob enforcer, Mark Antony, declined to participate, but... And this is key, Matteo. He said nothing to Caesar. He just said no and then walked away. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe he did have some greater ambitions. Perhaps he did. Maybe he just wanted to see this thing play out, see where it went. So, Caesar planned to leave Rome, Matteo, on the 18th of March of 44. Because he had planned this massive campaign, as I told you, to take on the Parthians. He wanted to get those captured standards back. He wanted to avenge his friend, Crassus' death, and the honor of Rome. So the conspirators did not have much time. The last meeting of the Senate, before Caesar would leave town, was to be held on the 15th of March. That's known as the Ides of March, Matteo. The Ides of March is the 74th day in the Roman calendar. And that's the typical deadline for a number of things, including the day for settling your debts from the Ooh. prior year. Yeah. Foreshadow. Big time. Caesar knew something fishy was going on, Matteo. He, he may have been letting all this power go to his head, but he wasn't a dummy. And as Plutarch said, on the day before Caesar would die, a man named Marcus Lep Lepidus was entertaining Caesar at supper. 
and Caesar chanced to be signing letters, as his custom was, while reclining at a table. And the discourse turned suddenly upon the question of hey, what sort of death was the best? And before anyone could answer, Caesar cried out, that which is unexpected. That's the 14th of March of 44. On the next morning, the morning of the 15th, Caesar's wife Calpurnia begged Caesar when they woke up, please don't go to the Senate. Please don't go. She had terrible dreams the night before. And Caesar also had his suspicions, like something was, was off, because he had never seen his wife freak out like this. Or as Plutarch says, he had never seen Calpurnia in any womanish superstition. Right? But now he saw that she was in great distress. And he had seers read the entrails, and they said, after many sacrifices, the omens are unfavorable. Don't go. Don't go. So Caesar decided to send Antony to dismiss the Senate that day. But at that moment, a guy named Decimus Brutus, we'll see him again next episode, Decimus Brutus, who was so trusted by Caesar that he was entered in his will as his second heir. But he was, wait, Decimus Brutus is, is Junius, right? No, he's another Brutus. Oh. There are two Brutuses. Right. Was a partner in the conspiracy, fearing that if Caesar should elude that day, their undertaking would become known. He ridiculed the seers, and he chided Caesar for laying himself open to malicious charges on the part of the senators, who would think themselves being mocked, for the Senate had met at his bidding, and they were ready and willing to vote as one man that he should be declared king of the provinces outside of Italy and might wear a diadem when he went anywhere else by land or sea. So they're going to saying that, oh, they're about to vote to make you king. Yeah, K king outside of Italy. You can be king of all the provinces. Imagine that. Won't that be awesome? Come to the Senate. Please, you're going to miss out on a great opportunity. So finally, Caesar's walking from his house, Matteo, which I believe is the Regia, because he's still Pontifex Maximus. He's walking to the Senate, and he saw, Matteo, an old seer, a man that he knew, because that seer had previously warned Caesar to be on his guard against a great peril on the day of the month of March, which the Romans call the Ides. And when the day had come, this day of March 15th of 44, Caesar's on his way to the Senate house. He greeted the seer with a jest and said, Well, the Ides of March are come. And the seer said to him softly, Aye, they are come, but they are not gone. I don't know how Caesar didn't turn around by this point. <laughs> and start running yes. fast in the opposite direction, yeah. Shit is spooky. So at this point, Caesar's almost there. And there's a teacher of Greek philosophy, a guy named Artemidorus, approaches Caesar. And Artemidorus knew about Brutus's plans. He knew about the conspiracy. And he had written down the plan on a scroll. He thrust the scroll into Caesar's hands, which said everything about the conspiracy, and said, read this, Caesar, by thyself, and speedily, for it contains matters of importance and of concern. But Plutarch tells us that Caesar took the role. He would have read it, but was prevented by the multitude of people who engaged his attention although he set out to do so many times, and holding it in his hand and retaining that role alone, he passed on into the Senate. Deep breath. Matteo, this is only five months after Caesar arrived back in Rome.
everybody on the face of planet Earth knows what happened in the Senate House. And we're, we're not going to talk about it in this episode, Mateo. Right? Right. Because we're going to dedicate a special episode, our next episode, to the conspirators. And we're going to look at the principal conspirators that organized the assassination of the man that had become tyrant. I'm sort of speechless. This is the end. Except for his death, this is the end of Caesar. And we'll talk about his death and the men behind it in our next episode. But now, my son, it's time to do something that's daunting, which is to rank... Ah, sorry, before we rank, there's an image on our website, www.lostromanheroes.com. Mateo, this was me playing around with JetGPT to come up with an image of Caesar in the Gallic Wars. What do you think? It looks pretty accurate. I mean, he was an old guy. He has the Caesar cut. He has a very uh, decorative armor. Uh, seems accurate to me. It's pretty good. And he looks tough. Yeah. Determined. Incredibly determined. Yeah. All right. So let's rank now, or try to rank, Mateo, this extremely determined guy, and, and we'll do our very best. Okay, so right off the bat, military success, 10. Military success, uh, oh, you can't possibly consider giving him anything other than a 10. Easy 10. Do you want to talk about it at all? No, there's no need. There's three episodes of evidence. Never really lost, never got routed, to be honest. Never, never got Never routed. lost a battle so significant that it lost him the war. That's true. You know? And really, of everything that we've covered, the only he lost two battles. One was Gergovia, yeah, Gergovia uh, to the, the first loss of Vercingetorix, and to Labinus, which wasn't certainly wasn't a rout at at Ruspina. So incredibly successful. Maybe he sort of lost to Pompey at Dyrrhachium, but it wasn't a real loss. Uh, he was able to he was able to regroup quickly and came back and inflicted a crushing blow on his enemy. I agree. He's a 10. Easily. Two tens. Political. Okay. This, this is, is where it gets tricky. Tricky. This is tricky. Because politically, uh, his political career, he had utmost success. You know? Did he force the success? Yeah, maybe. But on paper, he was extremely successful. A bunch of politicians did kill him. Yes, he did hate. <laughs> that is true. He did hate a lot. A lot of politicians yeah. did hate him, but his resume is outstanding. His resume is outstanding. He was extraordinarily successful until he wasn't any longer because he lost. It's like he lost the gift, in, in some sense. You know, he lost that touch, that right. feel. He thought maybe he thought he was a mutant. I don't know. And and I think for that, he, maybe he never thought that these senators would get their own hands dirty. Maybe, maybe, maybe he he thought so dismissively of them. He thought that they could not possibly pose a threat once the big man, Pompey, was, was knocked out. Right. He thought they'd be scared, maybe. So I think for that reason, in my mind, he can't possibly be a 10. He can't be a 10 because he overreached in a way that his grand nephew will not. Hmm. Right? I thought it was just nephew. No, I think it's his grand nephew. Oh, okay. Uh, right. So he, he showed a tone deafness in that last year of his life that led to his downfall. Um, 
and, and even if you look at the things that he did when he was dictator for life, he pushed through some reforms, but the reforms were sort of tinkering around the edges. Sula was trying to really fix the republic, was my sense, when he was dictator for life. He was right. trying to, to re reinforce the power of, of the old structures of government. And you saw that when he retired. Well, yeah, you retired, did. Retired, yeah, yeah. which is the traditional move for someone that yeah, would get dictated. That's right. And, and Caesar, you just get the, the sense that he was relishing in this exceptional, extraordinary power that he had, and it kind of went to his head. And, and for that reason, I'm, I'm thinking, Matteo, I'm going to throw a number out there. I'm thinking he's a seven. Mm. I don't know about seven for me personally. I, don't, I think that's okay. crazy. Okay. Because I'll tell you this. What? Everything was flawless up until the end, you know? So he can't get a 10. But everything was flawless up to the end. So he, he still had supporters. It was, a, it was a group of men that he pissed off. But he had a lot of supporters, a lot of people telling him, don't go, you know? Um, but can I just say one thing? Yeah. He killed the Republic, but he didn't replace it with anything. And you're going to say that the Republic was already dead. Yeah, it was dying. But he drove a stake through the heart of the Republic, but he didn't replace it with a viable substitute. So what, you're saying because he didn't have... Uh, oh man, what's it called? Uh, uh, like a fail-safe protocol? Or uh, what's it called? Like the plans you make for when you die? Yeah, yes. He didn't have a succession plan. Really, he didn't. He, he didn't but he have, didn't know he was getting murdered. He had no, there was no, he was a one-man band. There was nothing other than him. I think that's called administrative success. No, but that's political. That's part of the, I think that's part of the think, political sphere. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I think that's part of the political sphere in, in the same way that, like, I would mark down a Basil the Bulgar Slayer here because he had no succession plan. Caesar killed the legitimate government and didn't replace it with anything. He just gathered the power to himself. Yeah, maybe he just thought, I'm going to die and everything will go back to normal. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to give him an 8.8. .8. Okay, 8.8? .8? Yeah. Oh, wow. We're usually going in 0.5s. Listen, but everything is flawless to th the end. There's nothing... That's fine. That's fine. That is perfectly fine. I, I'm going to stand by my 7. This is our first like significant break in a scoring in any category, but I think it's perfectly legit. Coolness. 10. It's Caesar. Caesar. Yeah, Caesar. The die is cast. Yeah, yeah. Caesar. I came, I saw, I conquered. Yeah, he yeah, said that yeah, yeah. No yeah. one ever, ever no yeah, one else right. said that badass you're right. shit. You're right. You're right. And in the Lobinius episode when we saw him charging forth. Yeah. And he said, we're all dying here and I'm yes. going to die with you guys. Yes. Without a doubt. That's cool as hell. He's, he's a 10 in cool. Impact, 10. It's got to be high. Easy 10. I think it's an easy 10 as what? well. What? He changed history forever. He changed history forever. There's a salad named after him. <laughs> Okay, so if you say he doesn't have a big impact, you could talk to... Where's your salad, you buddy? Could talk to, you could talk to half the people in this country that say they eat salads. That's awesome. It's not a very healthy salad, by the way. It's tasty, but it's not the healthiest of salads. Ah, oh, Mateo, that was good. You got me on that one. I agree. He's a 10 on that as well. And so this brings Caesar and Mateo to a 95%. But this leaves us for, I mean, we could talk about, well, let's, two seconds, humor me. The alternate I'm going to change my answer. What? 8.8 .8 to a 9.1. 9.1? Okay. Yeah. That's fine. It, 
I, I'm not going to be rude and, and change mine because I think it's fine where it is. So that, that he's still at a 95%. And my question for you is, I have two questions. One, the world without Caesar. Oh, so different. What? Maybe the, the Republic would have... I think if the world without Caesar, the Republic would have kept crumbling until it split up into different warlords, success, some of the warlord, warlord provinces. Yeah. That's what would happen. It just implodes like that. And, and what happens to the world? Like, bigger picture? Shit, I don't know. I don't know. He's under Sulla. And it, what? How is he under Sulla? Sulla was a 96%. Caesar's a 95 Sula and Caesar or Sula and Africanus are tied at ninety six percent. That doesn't sound right to me. Go back so I can flip. <laughs> okay, if you're gonna do that, I'm gonna go back to Sula and start oh, messing you're so with. So weird. <laughs> oh, my God. Nine point five. No, you can't give it. <laughs> you can't. Dude, he destroyed. He destroyed the machinery of government and did nothing. To that's replace administrative it. success, but though. that is politics, dude. That's no, politics. But that's like your image. No, 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 no. That is. It's not image. That's the survival of Rome. You just said it. You just said it. it if it's not <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, you accuse me of being a fanboy. I think you're being a fanboy. I'm of not Caesar. a fanboy. I just think it's. He's basically did everything perfect for except for like three months. It, 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 and three in, months of his life ruined it all, basically. Whatever. Okay. Mateo, the big question. Does he belong in the Hall of Heroes? Is this man a Roman hero? Yes. Why is he a Roman hero? I'll tell you why he's a Roman hero. The Republic, at this point, was not a good thing. You know, the, all these senators were a bunch of schmucks. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything for the people, which at the end of the day, what encompasses democracy? The people. Yeah. We the people. Yeah. George Washington, they wrote it down. The, yeah. our, our founding fathers wrote it down on paper. Yeah. We the people. Yeah. This this republic did nothing for the people, you know? Yeah. It was a country club. Yeah. It was, hey, let's go play some golf. You know, let's let's get some, some slaves to be our caddy boys. Hmm. No, come on. He killed the republic, a republic which stood for nothing. A republic which was um, held very... It, it's a republic that held very uh, had a very little cohesion. Um, it was very controversial. Uh, a lot of in-factions within it. Mm-hmm. We had a fact, three different factions. We had Crassus, we had Pompey, and we had Caesar. You know, like, come on. And then we had the, the Cato faction, the Brutus faction. Like, no. Okay? He killed a republic, a republic which was at that point... Um, a sorry. It, it it was a name that. It, it was the ruins of a once great form of government. Mm. No, come on. It was he didn't kill it. He put the last nail in the coffin. It was dead at that point. It was dying. It was a slow death. Okay, and because of his actions, um, there would result in a civil war that gave life to the city of Rome. For another five hundred some odd years, and the the people of Rome for another two thousand, so oh no, not two thousand, well fifteen hundred, so no. But but you're but that's Octavian's doing. Caesar didn't give it that life. Caesar is the one that but killed I'm the old form it because killed. of his actions. Yeah, yeah, but the old form. What is? Why does that matter? It would would Rome have prospered if the Republic continued to live? Because Caesar dismantled it like he did, and because of the resulting civil war, the line of emperors, um, which wasn't always great, but the line of emperors gave it the life it needed to survive for another 1,500 years. Yeah. 
So it wasn't going to do that with the Republic. The Republic wouldn't have lasted that long. The Republic was already dying. It was already basically dead. He put that last nail in. You know? Yeah. Well, I have to say that... So I'm, I'm going to say yes. I mean, we put Pompey in the Hall of Heroes. We didn't put Marius in the Hall of Heroes. We put Sulla in the Hall of Heroes. Sulla and Caesar have a lot of similarities. Right. But Sulla... I'm torn on this. Look, Sulla is more commendable for what he tried doing, but he was trying to... It's like he's trying to put out... uh, It's like he's on an airplane and he's trying to put out the fire encompassing the entire plane, but all he has to do is a cup and a sink. Like, it's commendable what he did. It didn't work. It didn't last not even five years. That is true. Okay? There was no saving what was happening at this point. Now, Caesar was beloved by all the people administratively he did great things uh um like infrastructurally uh things like the bread dole like he wasn't a bad he was a great ruler and the people loved him was he full of himself yeah egomaniac but i don't know my my issue is that he didn't leave rome in a good place rome wound up getting to a good place the thing is he wasn't expecting to just up and die and get murdered you know that's we can't Hold that against him. You're saying that if he had more time... Sulla knew... Sulla... No one killed him. Sulla was able to decide, okay, I'm going to keep working. This is where I stop. Yeah. We have no idea what Caesar was going to do. We can only imagine. But Caesar was murdered. And we can't hold that against him. No, but we also can't give him credit for something that he didn't do. What am I saying that he did? No, I'm saying he may have gone on to do great things to put right, it in Right, I'm that, not giving him credit. But yeah. I'm just saying we can't hold it against him and say like, oh, he didn't leave a contingency plan. Yeah. That's the word I was thinking of. But... Yeah. All right. I, I, you know, in one of my favorite podcasts, which is Totalis Rankium, when they're split, they flip a coin. Um, you and I have been split before, and we put it to the people. And lost Roman hero. I think Caesar was a great Roman, a truly great Roman. But I don't think that he was a Roman hero. I but think, I, I do. Think, I know. So? So what do we do? Do we put up a poll? Throw the gloves on. Yeah? Let's get in the ring. <laughs> do we put up a poll? Yeah, we put up a poll. All right. To our listeners, we are going to put up a poll, and we're putting this to you. Mateo and I are at an impasse, and the poll will be up for a week. Please vote. Please. Please let us hear from you. It'll, we will defer to your wisdom, to your choice. It'll be on Twitter and on Instagram. It'll be on Twitter. It'll be on Instagram. You can also just send us an email at info at lostromanheroes.com or a direct message. However you want to contact us, please do it. We want to hear from you. This is a tough one. I got to tell you, my tale. Part of me just wants yeah, to say... Yeah, if you want to send us your arguments, go ahead. Yeah, that would be awesome. Part of me just wants to say, Mateo, I'm with you. Yeah, he's a hero. But I have this thing in my gut that's, that's stopping me. So you will see this poll, and we can't wait to hear from you. Please don't leave Caesar hanging. Give him an answer, okay? So that's it for Caesar. He's still alive. He's standing in the Senate. We're going to see him one last time in our next episode on The Conspirators next week. In the meantime, thank you so very much. 
Thanks for putting up with a three-episode saga on Caesar. You can find the updated list of heroes, the Hall of Heroes, on our website at www.lovesromanheroes.com. Please leave reviews. We need them. We really do. We need them. We haven't had a review on iTunes for a little while, and it really helps. It's not just good for our ego, which it is. Thank you so much. But it's really good for the... Like Caesar. But it's really good for the placement of the podcast. When people search for history, we'll come up to the top of the search results if we have more reviews. So please review us. Um, Countries. I want to welcome two new countries, Mateo. Latvia and Poland. Latvia. Yeah. Pretty sure my crush is from Latvia, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) That's awesome. I thought she was Russian. Yeah, but I think she's. I don't think she's from Russia, though. Ah, okay. I think she's Eastern European. That is so cool. All right. Maybe Estonia. I don't know. All right. Your crush. I'm not going to say where she works, although I seriously <laughs> doubt anybody there is listening to our podcast. I hope not. Oh, no. my God. No, no, no. I won't say it. I won't say it. So, thank you, everyone. Email us at info at lostgermanheroes.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And please tune in next week for The Conspirators and the End of Gaius. Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm.